This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Scott Sinclair of ESG Global and data center dude Nick Howell join us to talk about hybrid cloud. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today, uh, we have a couple of gentlemen that are going to talk to us about cloud um, because that's what we do here sometimes. We talk about cloud. And to do that, uh, first up from NetApp, uh, you may recognize this guy. He's very bearded. Uh, Nick Howell. Hi. How you doing, Justin? It's good to see you, man. Yeah, likewise. Uh, If you're not familiar with Nick, uh, he used to run this show. Now, now he's a guest. Back in the days of old. <laughs> Back in my day, I walked through the snow. Um, yeah, so uh, Nick, what do you do now at NetApp and how do we reach you? Uh, well, the fancy title that I have is Global Field CTO for Public Cloud Services. And that basically means it's my job to educate our own field, the channel, and frankly, the industry to a certain extent about what all of our cloud offerings are and make sure that everybody understands what uh, arenas we're playing in and what offerings we have um, uh, around the world. All right, excellent. And also with us today, we brought along Scott Sinclair from ESG. So, Scott, uh, what do you do? How do we reach you? (laughs) Justin, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. So, um, I'm a senior analyst with Enterprise Strategy Group, or ESG. Um, if, If you're interested in learning more about, you know, who we are as an analyst firm or checking out our research where ESG global.com. And you can find me on Twitter um, at Scott underscore sin uh, abbreviation for Sinclair. doesn't mean anything else. Uh, senior analyst covering and I cover hybrid cloud infrastructure. So all things infrastructure on off premises. Okay, excellent. So um, as far as hybrid cloud goes, I mean, maybe a lot of people don't know what that is. If you could kind of break down your definition of hybrid cloud and, and what a multi-cloud approach looks like. How much time do we have, Justin? Um, um, I don't know. I've got all day. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> there you go. Luckily, you don't have to go anywhere. Um, you know, it's, what's really interesting is the, the term hybrid cloud obviously gets thrown around a lot. I'm, I'm sure many of the people listening here hear it all the time. Uh, so much so, we actually did some research on this at ESG, and one of the questions we had was define hybrid cloud. And we gave people a whole bunch of different options of what does it mean. And what's funny is, I think we gave uh, people five different, four or five different options, and no option was greater than a third of the of the respondents. So, at a high level, you could define it as simply as I have some infrastructure that's on premises and some things that are off premises, and the, and a lot of, or a, the major—I don't want to say a majority, but it's—it's it's really just a, a bunch of the IT executives I talk to are in that mode where there's we have some infrastructure that's that's grown on premises that's been a data center. We have some things we're doing in the cloud, and never the two shall meet. Um, but for many of us, when we think about hybrid cloud and actually want to make it actionable, we think about either workloads or data that moves either starts on-prem, moves to the cloud, or vice versa, or moves back and forth. And that's where all the all the fun, challenging, hard stuff shows up. And so when you start looking at 
do you have a hybrid cloud environment? I tend to think, okay, well, let's let's start at the broadest term, which is where most of us are, where we have some on-prem and some off-prem. But if you start thinking about hybrid cloud solutions, you need to start looking at the ways in which data or apps can move across locations, because really that's the hard part. So I'm guessing there's no IANA or SNEA definition for hybrid cloud that's standardized yet is what it's sounding like. Yeah, I mean, there might be, every analyst firm has kind of its definitions. I know some go through and say, thou shalt, this is the hybrid, hybrid cloud. But for example, I mean, we ask uh, in one of these, the same research study I was talking about, we ask people, okay, what is a core characteristic of hybrid cloud? You know, half the, half the people, 48% said the software, you know, you got to have some sort of software that manages both on and off premises. And then 47% said, no, 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 it's the applications have to be able to migrate both on and off premises. And then 45% said, uh, wait, no, it's got to be a system that can, you might have some systems on premises and some systems off premises. And what you probably noticed is I'm already over a hundred percent. Yeah, I was so about to mention that. Multiple yeah. options, right? So, so what, where I'm going with this is there's lots of definitions. And if for anyone out there thinking about hybrid cloud, you can't just stop at hybrid cloud. You have to look at the details. What does it mean for your company? What are you trying to do? And if it's a solution, okay, and someone says, oh, we offer hybrid cloud, okay, great. What exactly does that mean? So, Nick, uh, as far as NetApp's concerned, I mean, what is our definition? What are we saying hybrid cloud is? Is it a mix of, you know, backup and archive, or is it a, you know, tier one applications? Are we cloud bursting? I mean, what sort of things are we doing with cloud? I don't know that we have a hard definition of like, this is hybrid cloud and this is the only thing it can be. And if it's not this, it's not hybrid cloud. Like it's not that explicit, right? There's, uh, it, from my viewpoint, I look like, are you operating day to day, both on-prem and in the cloud? And whether or not that is connected uh, can certainly draw some different scenarios around things. But yeah, whether you're shipping backups up to the cloud as a sort of a tertiary storage alternative rather than standing it up in a secondary data center or whether you're having development of applications and things like that happening in the cloud instead of standing up bespoke infrastructure on internally to support those efforts. I mean, th there's so many different scenarios and use cases for hybrid cloud. And I think too many people get wrapped around the axle of the definition, much like we did back in the day of converged versus hyper converged. Who cares? What does it enable you to do? What, you know, that's what, when I, when I talk about hybrid cloud, I, whether it's hybrid or not, it's what are we enabling to do here? And I think the beauty of what NetApp has done and the, where we've come from over the last three to four years is we've built this portfolio that solves for a lot of those use cases. And now what we're doing is tying a big ro a ribbon on them with our Project Astra solution that allows you to allow the applications to drive what infrastructure is going to go where using policies and things like that. So we're, instead of building the queue around the block with people waiting for resources from their sysadmins, we now have empowered developers and applications themselves to basically set those standards themselves. And whether they want to go to one of the cloud providers or whether they want to do it on-prem or some combination of both, all of that's totally possible today. And I think the, the idea of, of having that flexibility and the idea that you can do both pretty seamlessly would be my personal definition of, of, of a hybrid cloud. Because one's just cloud and one's just on-prem. Doing them both together is where it becomes a hybrid. But what if I built a cloud on-prem? 
Ooh, now see, that's what we call a private cloud. Yeah. Ah, so many clouds. So I, I do like the concept <laughs> of not having a definition because what, what I've found is when you try to have somebody defining something, they've got a reason why they're trying to define it. And usually that reason is we are the only ones who do this thing. And that's not the way hybrid cloud works. You know, you have a lot of different options. So if you try to claim that, you know, we're the only ones in the, in the industry who can do hybrid cloud, you're probably lying. Yeah. So I'm, I'm jumping in here, Justin. Go I absolutely agree with that is first off, everyone does it, pretty much everyone out there is talking hybrid cloud. And the, the ways that they're doing it are all, you know, there's some similarities and some differences. I think, but to your point, there's no no one company and no one technology has the exclusive rights to what hybrid cloud is. Uh, I think that's key. The other thing is to to your point, I think Justin, you made it or Nick, it's all about what are you trying to do here? What what are you trying to do from your company standpoint, from your business initiatives? I think that's key. And something Nick that you talked about which I think is important is as an analyst, I, I often get wrapped around technology. What is a technology? Do? What is what is the company trying to do? But at the end of the day, what also really matters when we think about simplicity and an OPEX, which is really simplicity is just a, 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 a general term for saying we need to cut OPEX because you know stuff takes people too long. We need too many people. But um, what really matters is a hybrid cloud experience because it's somewhere in your company there's going to be someone that's responsible for managing some resources that are on-prem and some resources that are off-prem. And the more diverse those things are, the more separated they are, the more siloed they are, the more costly it's going to be and the harder it's going to be to figure out moving forward. And I think when I think about hybrid cloud moving forward, whether it's a technology, an app, a deployment, a solution, whatever it is, whatever the the way to think about it is whatever you're deploying now, even if it's only on in the cloud or only on premises, there will be a day someday in the future where that data will have to move or change locations or an app will have to change locations. So when you think about it from an architecture standpoint, even if it's only in the data center, even if it's only in the cloud, it's important to think, okay, well, how does this fit into a larger hybrid cloud strategy, which I know sounds a lot like marketing speak, but in reality it's, uh, probably a better way to think about it is, okay, if we have to move all this stuff to the cloud, how much work and cost and time is that or vice versa? Yeah, I, I subscribe to the Tom Mendoza School of Outcomes. So if you've ever heard Tom talk about uh, outcomes, I don't really care which pieces of technology get me there, but I don't want to start with talking about the technology and shaping the different, uh, bolting the p different pieces of technology like a puzzle together to get me to it. I want to start at the outcome and work backwards. So this is what I always, with, especially with very large enterprise customers, I, I just, they ask, groups will ask me to come in and speak to them. Hey, come speak to about what NetApp's cloud portfolio looks like. And then let's not start there. Let's, what do you want to achieve? What is it that you're actually trying to do here? Do you want your data in location X so that, operation Y will have direct access to it. Cool. We can get you there with that way. Do you want to have your data on-prem and spread out across multiple cloud providers at the same time as a sort of uh, replication or disaster recovery scenario? Absolutely. We can do get that there too. Uh, we've, we've covered the gamut at this point of all of the different technologies um, and scenarios and use cases and things like that. So I could certainly come in and sell you the truck, but you're probably not going to buy any of it at the end of the day. So I want to, I want to sell you an outcome. I want to 
come to you and give you a solution that will satisfy a need that you have uh, to, to enhance and make your business better and more efficient? Everything I've seen, I, I always believe that's the right approach. So often, it, it doesn't matter what company you are, or what you do. So often it is you're given, here's the answer. Okay, what's the logic we need to use to get to, to get to whatever that answer is that we have provided? Typically, it's by someone that gets paid a lot more than you. Um, and in reality, that's when people get in the, in the challenges. Uh, that the, while cloud adoption continues to grow and there's, and there's leveraging the cloud, there's a lot of excellent perceptions and a lot of excellent benefits from leveraging the cloud. When companies, however, tend to get themselves into problems with leveraging the cloud and you know running in the challenges and cloud initiatives costing more than they thought, or even in some cases when they decide, you know what, that didn't work, we need to pull it back on premises. Those sorts of situations are often, I mean, there's lots of reasons why they happen, but you could probably summarize them all together as in, we were given the cloud as an answer and no one actually did the due diligence to find out whether or not that was the right answer or what our, what our right outcome was that we wanted to achieve. And so whenever, whatever you're doing, figure out what your outcome is that you want to achieve and look at all your options. Yeah. Regardless of what the vendor is, can they, can they empower you and, and give you the tools necessary to provide you the outcome that you're trying to achieve? Let's kind of talk about some of those challenges a little bit more. I mean, like what sort of things are customers running into, whether it's trying to approach the cloud to begin with or getting to the cloud, getting out of the cloud, moving around between clouds? Like what are you seeing as, as challenges for these particular use cases? Yeah, Scott, I would love to hear yours and, and ESG's perspective here. Um, I can certainly talk about, but I, I want to avoid, you know, the the obvious sales slanted pitch towards use cases. But I'm curious to hear what ESG has to say about what challenges you guys are hearing sort of repeated or an ongoing basis that uh, the companies are running into consistently. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we do one of the things that we do at ESG is where, so we're an IT analyst firm. We do a lot of stuff. Many of our listeners may be familiar with some of our uh, validations, our technology validations that are out there. But one of the things we do is we do a considerable amount of research and the cloud is, as you might expect, a hot topic. So um, we've looked at a, we've looked at challenges of leveraging the cloud in a couple of different ways. Uh, one of which is leveragedness or, or managing hybrid cloud environments, which we just talked about. How comp, what does that mean? How you know it, what what it actually is a hybrid cloud? But this ties and what we found is, and and I'll kind of go through some of the the heavy hitters because I got the research right here. What we found is complexity in general in IT stems from doing lots of different things that where there's very little commonality. It's like the, the insanity of context switching. You know, I, one of the things that, uh, so I've been an analyst for a while and I am still waiting for some new technology vendor to show up and go, you know what? Our technology is just really hard to use. Nobody can figure it out. And I, I, I've yet to have anyone say that. Everyone tells me, oh, our technology is super simple. It's so easy. It's incredibly intuitive. So we've had where companies right now, our IT organizations are inundated with hundreds of simple technologies that somehow they got to figure out and work, make work together. And so the hybrid cloud is essentially the culmination of that problem. Um, so if you think about, okay, what are the top challenges with hybrid cloud? I, you know, this is, you know, I'm sure it's going to be for, for great listening, but as I read my list here, 
Um, number one answer is the diversity of uh, technology makes it hard to monitor. 42% of people. Mm. Frequent changes to the infrastructure and the apps make it hard to keep up. Difficult to, difficulty understanding the relationships and interdependencies between the different services and infrastructure components. Uh, you know, the all the manual effort it takes to, ins to instrument the applications and the infrastructure. So you kind of catch on a theme here where the top ones are, I got a lot of different things that require a lot of manual effort to go figure out. And they're all diverse and they all, you know, there's no consistency across them. Um, and so that's within hybrid cloud environments. When we double click into storage and say, okay, now let's look at what are some of the challenges with leveraging storage. Some of the top ones are number one answer is egress fees. Not only are they costly, but you know, one of the, it's a paradigm shift for years. Everyone, you know, many of these data center um, IT architects have been saying, well, you know, I pay, I pay on dollar per capacity at a certain tier. What do you mean? I have to, I have to pay attention to now how much data I pull back and forth. That's a challenge, but a lot of it is, but, and as I go through many of the, uh, the storage challenges, much of it is just trying to get a handle on how much real infrastructure your apps use. So it's all about, you know, making sure you get the right performance, the right availability, making sure that now you get the right level of data security or compliance. Because when everything was in your data center, there was a lot of assumptions you could make. Oh yeah, sure, just put it on there, it'll be fine. And when it goes to the cloud, those assumptions, you, aren't, you can't really make those. And also there's some insight that you need into the data and to the app that wasn't, that wasn't necessary with on-premises. So it doesn't mean that the cloud is, is disadvantaged in any of these areas at all. It's just that it's different. And it's that different that creates complexity and costs and, and slows things down. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I often ask people, there's plenty of people out there. I, I use the house analogy quite a bit when I'm talking about our portfolio of products that we have and a way to get into the cloud. And I want you to imagine that I just sold you a dirt lot with nothing but a roof. Could Would you live in that? Probably not, right? So you have to have a foundation, firm, solid foundation. You have to have protective walls put up and you have to have entry points like doors and windows to get in and out of that place. And then you can put a roof on top of it and then you can live in it. And that is probably the simplest analogy that I can give to people about what the NetApp cloud services portfolio is. It is, it is effectively a house and that house can be put in any of the three major public cloud providers, or you can build it yourself on-prem with any of our kit, and we can move the data seamlessly between the two different houses if you want to. Uh, but at the bottom of it, we had to start with storage. You have to start with the foundation that is that is going to protect your most important asset, and that is your data. Data can be portable between any applications if you move between SQL to Oracle, if you move from Oracle to MySQL, if you, but the data has to be solid and be a concrete foundation that is protected at all costs. That is your data. So we started there and we made agreements with the three different public cloud providers in AWS, Azure, and um, Google Cloud. And we have services and availability for both our IS solution as well as a PaaS solution for you to just buy storage on a dollar per gigabyte kind of metric every month. We've, we laid the foundation first. And in the meantime, we went up and we started working on the entry points. We've got cloud sync. We've got to be able to move data in and out of your house. We've got uh, SaaS backup to be able to take the elements 
that might be in a separate facility, maybe like a guest house or something like that in Office 365. But we also want to be able to store that for you and manage it and age it out for you and be able to single file recover it. Like we want that to stay within your house and not Microsoft's house, so to speak. So because they're not doing a lot of that stuff for you. So make sure you take care of your data, whether it's in your house or within some other SaaS platform. That's that's key. And then we'd have other tools like we want to make sure that you're taking care of all of your guests in your house through cloud compliance. If they ever have GDPR requests or CCPA compliance checks, anything like that, we've got a solution for that. Also, the stuff that you'd only store up in the house, we want you to be able to protect that. So for the data that you store there only, we're also going to take it out of the house and put it somewhere else for you just in case of a, a smoking hole scenario or a disaster where the house might burn down. You've got another copy of that data somewhere else, and we can automate and facilitate that for you with a, a single turn on, a single variable that you can flip on. And then we can put the roof on the house. And where the roof gets really fun is now that you've built all of this other structure around using other the, these other components the roof becomes the top-down mechanism, the control plane uh, that can be that can drive all of the decisions that happen to things underneath within the rest of the house. So if you need if your application has a policy attached to it that needs it to be backed up off-site and it needs to traverse two different clouds and it needs to be geolocated around the globe, you can simply build that policy and the the operations inside of the house will take care of all of that for you. Rather than the way that we've been doing infrastructure for 30 years, where it's you're, you're stood in a bread line, basically around the sysadmin's desk, begging and pleading for more storage or another uh, computer or server, another virtual machine, right? We've turned things around where the applications now hold sway. And they can absolutely dictate, given the right permissions and the right kind of setup, where they can drive all of that conversation or they can drive all of that decision-making that happens about what service level they need, how much storage capacity do they need, uh, what cloud or clouds does it need to be located in, what region does it need to be in based on the demand of the end users. All of that can be policy-driven and can be moved around at will, but you can't just walk out to a dirt lot with a roof and and expect to have a good time. And I think a lot of people expect, as you were saying, Scott, a lot of people expect that magic whiz-bang portal control plane to just be able to do all the things without all of the all of the other components. There's a reason AWS has EBS and EFS and other storage services. There's a reason Azure Files and Azure Blob exist. There's a reason Google Cloud has volumes and Google Cloud Object, all of those other components that they have as well. They're not just trying to sell you a house they, or a roof. They want to sell you a, a house. And we're, we're no different. And frankly, at the end of the day, um, Anthony, Yancey, myself, we're all out there basically saying when this, when this comes down to it, you can look at the three major cloud providers in AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. And you can look at some of the stuff VMware is doing. And then you can look at NetApp. Then there's going to be five of us. There's only really five of us now that are doing this kind of stuff. And there's... I mean, sure, somebody else can sell you another storage array and maybe they can send stuff to an S3 bucket, but nobody is nobody is building a house in the cloud or enabling you to build a house in the cloud the way that all of us are. So that's, sorry, that was a little bit of a soapbox moment there, but I hope you guys enjoyed the house analogy. I did. I, I, I really like that, Nick, uh, because, you know, the more I think about it, I think about, you know, that, that reminds me of one of the other data points is when you buy a house, Typically, you don't just go buy it. You get it inspected, right? 
And sure. because you get somebody that knows, hey, it's supposed to have what what's a good foundation supposed to look like? And one of the biggest things, so if we think about regardless of which study we do on why people, you know, in those few cases where people have moved a workload back from the cloud, why was it? Or some of the challenges of putting things on the cloud or some of the challenges of managing the cloud. It's often because a company has said, well, I got my team that manages the data center, but you know what? The cloud just takes care of stuff. So we're just going to let the line of business just do a credit card and just, just spin that up. And those two teams don't need to talk to each other. Because, and, and that's where problems arise. So in workloads that we saw coming back, a very high majority, I forget what it is, I think it's close to 70%, but I don't have the number in front of me, so I don't want to say it, but it was close to that. Um, at least one of the workloads that they pulled back were put on, was spun up by a team outside of IT, for example. When we look at the challenges with uh, cloud storage environments, public cloud storage environments, the tied per third uh, identified by a quarter of people, 25%, is a lack of coordination between the IT team and the teams that are spinning up stuff in the cloud. Um, and then you have the same thing with managing the cloud, is if you have a team that sits there and manages, thinks about applications and what they need from an on-premises standpoint, and that same team doesn't have visibility into what goes into the cloud, that's where problems start to occur. So just having you know, the same team look at it is a good way to, to simplify and eliminate some of these complexities. The, the challenge, however, is, is that, that everyone waiting in a giant queue next to the sysadmin's uh, desk is a problem that somehow IT needs to solve, is you have to figure out how to balance the, yes, we're gonna put the due diligence into cloud, but also let you spin things up fairly quickly rather than, okay, now you need to wait six months to get your cloud resources, because that's not gonna fly. Right. So um, as far as, you know, we t when we talk about hybrid cloud, are, why are people even considering hybrid cloud and not just going to 100% cloud or 100% on-prem? Like, what's some of the reasoning behind doing a, a hybrid approach? Because they're smart um, at the end of the day. You know, it, it's if you're if you're just now kind of dipping your toes in the water of cloud, you're you likely have an on-prem infrastructure. And let me rephrase that. Let me back up a step. If there's startup companies, or we refer to them as born in the cloud companies that are out there that are offering a service or some sort of product that can be delivered through software, through a browser, absolutely they should go 100% in the cloud and build your business model around that. But if we're talking about existing enterprises that have existing data centers and existing infrastructure, they're, they're not going to be the ones that go 100% in the cloud overnight. It's going, it could potentially take years to move all of their footprint from a secondary data center to the cloud, much less their entire operations in a, in a short period of time. And I'm talking about the biggest of the bigs here, not, you know, your typical small to medium enterprise will have 100 terabytes or less of data. They might have 10 applications. But at this point, we're, we've gotten to the point where most collaboration tools and everything like that are mostly SaaS based, uh, if not cloud driven at this point. So a lot of that transition we used to think about 10, plus, 10 to 20 years ago really isn't an issue anymore. Uh, so we can get past the collaboration and the communication bits. Now we're talking about tier one applications. And what's happened now over the last 10-ish years with virtualization and beyond is there's no such thing as scheduled downtime anymore. So you can't have time to be able to move 10 petabytes of data up to the cloud 
or even in chunks over like a monthly scheduled maintenance kind of thing. So you have to find ways to keep data consistent and move things around while the it doesn't interrupt or affect the users. And that's where we started getting into scale out Kubernetes uh, microservices and things like that so that you can have iterations of an application that might be based on different uh, different versions of data or different locations of that same data based on a user's access point, whether they're coming in from the cloud or whether they're on-prem local LAN kind of stuff. That's that's kind of just a design and architecture discussion about outcomes. Like going back to the beginning, this is really starts with a, all of these start with a war room with a customer on a whiteboard. What do you want your outcomes to be and how can we architect an overall solution hitting all of the little spots and we'll just start chipping away at, at each of these. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I absolutely agree on that. Um, it's really interesting in our research because over the past few years, we've seen cloud adoption continue to increase. We see very strong perceptions of the benefits of cloud infrastructure. And we see one of the things that we track is a number of organizations that consider themselves to be cloud first. And, you know, it's it's very high. I want to say it's somewhere close to 40% right now. Oh, wow. Uh, more recent, actually, I have it right here. It's uh, 38% uh, in our most recent study identify themselves as cloud first. And that's versus only 9% saying that they're on-premises first. All that, so a lot of interest in the cloud. All that being said, in terms of workloads, and when, it, when you double click into even the most cloud first, most digitally savvy, most, uh, you know, the ones that say we're mature in our digital transformation, everything else. And you ask them about what they're doing, both on premises and off premises. They're planning to, they're expanding both sides of the equation. It is not a, we're, we're abandoning data centers and we're moving in the cloud. It is, we found this balance between certain workloads are optimized and ideal for cloud-based infrastructure and other ones just make sense to keep on premises for, for a variety of reasons. And we need to balance this environment and expand it moving forward. Um, what's interesting is I often get the question, okay, which workloads by you know category are good for cloud environments? And which workloads by category, these type of app, you know, databases, what these ones are um, are good for on-premises And what's really interesting is when you ask organizations which workloads they plan to grow where, the the numbers actually are very closely aligned in terms of growing in both places. So what we see is just what makes sense to put where often has a lot to do with your company, where you started, what you're using before, where your data was, where it is now. And it doesn't typically align with, well, our NoSQL databases are always in the cloud and our you know, traditional SAP applications are always on-prem. It doesn't, doesn't work that way, hmm. um, which is really interesting. Um, so where I'm going with all this is, is that the world is going to be hybrid cloud. This idea that everyone is abandoning the data center and going to put everything in the cloud just doesn't show up in, in our research at all. Uh, now, granted, there are a bunch of new startups that are, to Nick, to your point, that are probably starting in the cloud and our research has been finding them. And I think a, a lot of that, in addition to massive cloud adoption, is driving a lot of the macro trends that you see towards cloud. But the thing that we don't see, going back to it, is this idea that, okay, the established enterprise that has a data center footprint is moving everything to the cloud. 
The other factor that's fueling a lot of that is if you look at overall price per capacity declines, especially within storage, many of the price per capacity declines that we've seen within media, whether it's hard drives or, or, or flash, have not shown up in storage services recently. Now, I, I don't know what drives that, but if you look at you know a lot of the uh, pricing from some of the major cloud providers, it's very similar so, uh, to what it was uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so understanding the, the overall cost of the infrastructure continues to be very important. So as far as NetApp goes, I mean, we've always traditionally been known as a, a storage company or a software company later on. Would you say, Scott, in your expertise, that NetApp is a cloud company now? I would. I, I would. Um, the, the trick, of course, is what is your definition of cloud? And there are people out there that say in order to be a cloud company, thou shalt be a major off-premises service provider, public cloud provider. What I care about is the end experience to the user. And I think that is the way when we think about cloud, the way we need to start thinking about it is if I'm a company, if I'm building an IT infrastructure, there are certain aspects of, of you know, speed of consumption, ease of provisioning, commonality of how I manage my infrastructure. And that's the way I want to engage with my technology. And that should be the way we think about cloud and where the data actually lives, if it's in your own data center or in a data center someone else owns, has should be less important to the definition of cloud. I would add to that that there's plenty that you can do with the public cloud providers. And they're certainly trillion-dollar company, evaluated companies at this point, and they're going to be here for a while. You know, they're they're not going anywhere fast. But I don't think that there's this prerequisite that you have to get over this certain line to be there. I think there are some things that NetApp does check off, not all of them, but some of them that could, I don't want to say we're a cloud provider. We're certainly a cloud solutions company. So, I mean, that puts us into that greater cloud company umbrella, because if you go to cloud.netapp.com, you can create an account there and you can buy products online on the website and begin using them immediately and connecting them with your data and standing up uh, virtual infrastructure or whatever you would like to do in your cloud provider of choice. To me, that's it's not complete as you would look at an AWS or an Azure or even a Google Cloud, but it's certainly some of that. And the other part that I often throw in here is that people, there's a recency bias, uh, I think is the best way that, I, that I'll say this. People forget that Azure didn't really have an NFS solution until we showed up with Azure NetApp files. People forget that Google Cloud didn't really have a good SMB solution until we showed up with cloud volume service that did both NFS and SMB at a higher tier performance, right? And that, the fact that we do both of those on all three clouds, you know, agnostically to whatever personal fandoms there might be within the companies, we're, we're sort of, we don't, we can do it in all of them. So it's, it's, it's sort of indifferent to us. The fact that we can do all three really empowers some interesting stuff with our other auxiliary tools like a cloud sync or like something like that that can help you move between clouds. So when we take hybrid cloud and we transform that into hybrid multi-cloud and we can get wrapped around the axle about that definition, that's where these things start getting really interesting. So to bring it back, is NetApp a cloud company? 
Hell yes. Are we? Ju- did I just last week see it referred to by uh, an analyst on the street referring to NetApp as a cloud company out of, after our Q1 earnings call? Yes. For the first time last week, someone on the street referred to NetApp as a cloud company, and I couldn't tweet it fast enough. It's something we've been driving for since... Uh, at least five or six years, if not longer. I'm, I've seen it in other official articles, right? It's not just the street. I've seen it in other references before that. And, uh, you know, I've, it kind of struck me. I was like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. I take it a step further that, you know, we can be somewhat somewhat considered as a hybrid multi-cloud provider, right? Because we, we stand up the, the on-prem solutions with our ONTAP, right? But we also are able to move into cloud using a virtualized stack, Yes, AWS, Google, and Azure are all providing the the cloud interfaces, but on top of that is ONTAP. On top of that is is NetApp. Hmm. Yeah. No. No. You no. Don't, not really. No. God. Kind of. I see where you're going. I thought with that. I had I something do. there. Yeah. It's it's kind of, but not really. Like the services that we may be engaging in with the cloud providers that may or may not use uh, ONTAP based storage. Um. Un- whether the the end user that's using AWS or Azure or Google Cloud n- knows it's on tap or not is kind of the point. And, and the fact that they can now get really fast, reliable, enterprise-grade NFS and SMB services in any of the three clouds without ever having to say the word NetApp or on tap, that is the point. So you can, Scott, to your point earlier about taking an SAP, traditionally you would never think of running a big Oracle database or anything like that, n- not on-prem. Well, now, because most of the time, that's because the storage in the cloud was subpar. You needed that kind of sub-millisecond latency and high amounts of bandwidth and throughput and storage processing and things like that to be able to run those kinds of applications, and you couldn't until the last couple of years, really the last year where we've had it where we've had it more abundantly available and the the cloud providers themselves have started to adopt it and make it more ubiquitous across all of their regions and bring it online. So yeah, Justin to your point are are we a provider? I don't I don't think we're a provider. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean provider in terms of we are the interface, right? I mean not that we are the storage as underlying necessarily, but we are the interface into the cloud. You're right. Nobody cares about if it's NetApp or ONTAP, right? That's table stakes at this point, but Providing it, providing that interface is there. Yeah, sure. It's yeah, just the, the nuance that you deal with with each of the three different cloud providers is really what it comes down to. You you kind of have to know what to look for in the right place. And we're getting better at that kind of stuff. That's why we always route everybody to cloud.netapp.com because we can link you to everything you need from there instead of trying to find it yourself within the confines of each individual cloud provider. You know, Nick, I was going to jump on a couple things things um, that you said, because I, I've really been thinking about this for a while, about, you know, achieving enterprise file storage in the cloud and that the, the complexities or the benefits and, and this relates back to your offerings. You know, on one hand, you know, part of this is tied to, you know, my, my history. Before I was an analyst, I was in product management. Before that, I was in engineering. And one thing that I've always seen through my experience with storage is, building an enterprise level file system is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. That's a very difficult thing to do. And I don't think, I don't think users of it, when they relate it to other technologies in the data center, they truly understand how difficult that is. Um, and I, I think that's very important. But the other thing that I think is also important is we always tend to think maybe, maybe I'm oversimplifying, but we tend to describe the cloud as new, 
but the cloud isn't new. It's been around for a while. And what's interesting is in the time since, you know, AWS first started, the role, and, and I need to go back and really think about this in terms of the timing, but I'm going to throw this out there and love to get your thoughts, is I think the role of file storage has changed in that time frame. File, if you think about it, especially file, it's, you know, 10 years ago or seven years ago, whatever that was, was, you know, it was big, it was kind of tier two workloads, performance was maybe not as important as it was for maybe more of a traditional block or sand-based environment. And other than maybe a few specific workloads, and I think what we've seen over the past few years is a transition to the way that enterprises need to embrace other protocols such as NFS and SMB are at the same tier in terms of enterprise protection, performance, low latency as anything else that might be considered tier one. And I think that transition is something that has been... It, is something that's increased the requirements of what someone, when they say, I want to go leverage cloud file storage, using file as kind of a high level thing, of it's changed what people look for. And I think right now, the criteria for an enterprise saying, I need to, I need enterprise level file, might be, is likely much greater than it was when the cloud was when the, the major cloud providers were rolling out some of their early file services. Love to get your, lo love to get your thoughts on that line of thinking. Yeah. A couple of things there. Um, one of my earliest slides when I came back in 2018 and started pitching the NetApp cloud volumes, cloud services, mostly around cloud volume service uh, at the time. And I was just, I was learning about these technologies and I, I sat, I thought to myself as someone who was a former admin ran a very large health company data center, and dealt with privacy issues and all of this department, all of that. Like I am steeped in data. Like it's, it was my life, but it mostly user data management kind of stuff. And I think about that. And the more I thought about it, and this is going to be like in parallel, two different kind of stories. The more I think about cloud, it's about the experience. It's not about how we get there. And I take it back the earliest, you could certainly talk about Oracle grid in the early two thousands, but I, I look at, when we first started talking about like grid computing uh, as a concept, but you could go back to mainframes and dumb terminals. What we're doing today with the cloud basically is the new mainframe and dumb terminal. You know, users don't care about NFS or SMB. They really don't. They care about access. And the new dumb terminal is the web browser or this guy, your mobile device, for those of you that aren't on video here with us. Think of it, that if you can think about it in that respect and in that context, that the browser is nothing more than a dumb terminal, well, how do you get the end user to have the best, most seamless experience possible? And I'm not talking about enterprise or cloud architects and admins as the customer. I'm talking about their end users. Because the, what they're, I promise you, what they're trying to solve for is a better, more seamless experience for their end users. And if we can get them to a point where their end users, all they need is a, is a dumb terminal. Is a, they don't have to install software. They don't have to do anything. They basically have a thin client or a dumb terminal that is nothing more than a web browser. If we can get to that point, the stuff behind, nobody cares how the sausage is made. They just want to eat the sausage, right? It's good old, good old cliche. 
So at the end of at the end of this mainframe computing, we really learned a lot of really good lessons. And then we went crazy and thought client server would be a good idea. Luckily, we came back to virtualization and kind of corrected that mistake. Uh, but we still brought in some, we, we've kind of combined the both. Now we've come to cloud and this interesting concept that has come out has we've come full circle back to sort of centralized computing. And if we can get all of the knobs and the complexities and the things out of the way and just pr- provide a good experience, not only for architects and admins, but for their end users. If you can change the experience for their end, your customers' end users, that's where it's going to win. And I think the big thing that will do that, I think the next field that we have to conquer, the next hill we have to climb is the control plane. The, uh, the sort of universal control plane that's going to control. I can sit here and talk to you about 15 different ad, uh, applications and products and services that we have at NetApp that are cloud products and services. Nobody's, I mean, sure, I, we can certainly throw some slides up and do that. I would rather talk to you about where you're going from here with this sort of idea that you can control everything globally, all applications, storage, and then manage the life cycle of it through back, backup and replication, through tiering, through compliance. All of that can be baked into this sort of universal control plane. It, anybody listening, can you imagine, here we are 10 to 15 years later, can you imagine vCenter not existing? Can you imagine going back to the early days of VMware and somehow 10 to 15 years across the, we're still managing individual ESX hosts without a universal control plane that is vCenter that has extensibility and the ability to plug in additional third-party uh, frameworks and plugins. Like it, it's, it's unfathomable to think about that. And the fact that we're expecting people to understand all of these small little tiny elements like cloud volume service, cloud volumes on tap, cloud compliance, all of these different little pieces rather than just having a, a seamless experience that is one universal control plane. And I, without saying much more, I can tell you that's what we're working on now. One man's universal control plane is another man's single pane of glass. There you go. I, I knew you were going to say single. I, I, I've gone away from univer, from saying single pane of glass. <laughs> universal control plane is the new single pane of glass. <laughs> but that's, that's really what it is. We want to, people to be able to build workloads with policies that can have one or more applications in them. And those policies will dictate what happens to the data and the applications and the service levels and any other SLOs that might be tied to those applications, be they tier one SAP or be be they tier three management software. But you at that point, hard stop. Like you shouldn't have to care about anything else beyond that point and just know that the services and the products will take care of themselves beyond the policies. You know, it's amazing. It doesn't matter which study we do, the data will lead itself back to how the world needs this universal control plane, Nick. I mean, you know, we talked about a lot of the management complexities of hybrid cloud and the multi-cloud and everything else. But at the end of the day, you know, there aren't, there's, IT demands are too large and there just aren't enough people. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that we've done is we've looked at skill shortage challenges within IT. Close to a third of organizations have problematic skill shortages. Finding IT architects or, or cloud architects right now, it's a, it's a huge problem finding enough people to do all this stuff. You know, there used to be a day a long time ago, which you might remember back when, you know, people cared about, oh, I want the interface to show me which spindle the app is on. 
nobody's got time for that kind of BS anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we need it to basically be managed by itself. We need that. We need that universal control point. Absolutely. The only other thing I can throw at people here where cloud becomes really valuable is you need to take a serious think about how you want to connect your on-prem with whichever or however many cloud providers you use. Each of them have their own unique thing. Azure has express route. AWS has direct connect. All of them are going to try to do that. But if you try to do all of this over a site to site VPN, you might not have a good time and you might think negatively of the cloud because of that. To me, one of the core tenets of hybrid cloud is the connectivity aspect. If you do not, if otherwise you're just putting some apps in the cloud or you're just putting some data in the cloud. But if your application has requirements where it needs to maybe spin up the same app on-prem and in a different cloud region, the connectivity is going to be paramount to the user experience I was talking about a little bit ago. Because if a user tries to access some data that's down on your on-prem and you try to pull that over like a 128K VPN, that's going to take a long time to come back. But if you've got a 10 gig express route and you're a big enough company and baller enough to have that kind of stuff, and there's a lot that are that do, um, you're going to have a really good time. It's going to make Azure more an extension of your existing on-prem than it is doing anything in the cloud. And that's cool because all of a sudden you've got access to seemingly infinite resources to be able to spin up and have your users have access to. Even if you just controlled front-end access and load balancing of your users coming in and you kept all of your data on-prem or vice versa. The having that connectivity is very, very important and making sure, as, as just a core tenet of hybrid cloud in my opinion. You have to have that way for your users, your admins and everybody and your applications to all be able to on, understand and talk to each other and, and have that infrastructure in place. So I, I honestly don't want people to overlook the idea that you have, there is some infrastructure. It might not be storage arrays and servers, but there's still some data center-esque infrastructure that you do have to have uh, to, to make that experience really what it can be. Yeah, Nick, I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, often when we think about whether any sort of infrastructure deployment, whether it's hybrid cloud or whatnot, the focus often gravitates towards the endpoints of, okay, what type of compute, what type of storage layer. But at the end of the day, where we're going in this hybrid or multi-cloud world is a world where things will have to move. And mm -hmm. that movement, you know, we talked about this a little bit of what drives complexity. It's getting a whole bunch of different things to work together. Well, the way you do, the way you simplify that is getting the, you know, the connection, the integration layer that communication between the two correct. And if you get that part correct, if you focus on that, then, and you, you, you err on the side of giving yourself more flexibility in terms of switching out those endpoints and changing things, but get the connection part correctly, that integration layer correct, then you're gonna be better off. That's, that's gonna save you tons of money and tons of time down the road. Agreed. All right. So earlier, Nick, you mentioned cloud.netup.com for places to go for finding more information. Is there anywhere else we could go to find more information? No, that is the hub. Uh, li literally, you can find everything about every product solution. And we've done that intentionally. We, we, we want to put everything in one hub. You can learn about it. You can watch demo videos. You can sign up for 30-day trials with no credit cards. All of that stuff can be found over at cloud.netup.com and it becomes the place where you manage those services as well uh, over time. So one-stop shop over at cloud.netup.com. You can even get there from System Manager. 
Mm. Yeah. Pretty. Now, why would you do that? That's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. Mm. Scott, what about you? How do we get to ESG information? You know, you can always check us out at ESG-global.com. Um, that is our services. Or follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Sin. Um, also on ESG-global.com, uh, I have a blog that I tend to write as well. If you want to check that out. Thank and you. you guys know where to find old Nick at Data Center Dude over on the Twitters, datacenterdude.com. And we've got a fun new thing called Discord that we've fired up, which is a large community of technologists and other folks uh, having a good time. So head to datacenterdude.com slash Discord and uh, come find out what we're building over there. Is Discord like a Slack? No, it's, it's not just another Slack. It's 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 more. It's Slack is more of a IRC replacement. I really wanted another Slack. I know. This one's better. Clutter up my day. All right, excellent. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. Scott? All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Scott Sinclair and Nick Howell for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.